This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I am one of your hosts, Phil again in the captain's chair tonight. It's Mike Spears joined with Nate. Aaron is on assignment slash in Cincinnati at the show. Nate, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Mike. Uh, I appreciate you. You introduced yourself as one of the hosts, not the sole host, uh, as some people are wont to do on this show. Uh, but yeah, I guess so I guess you're uh, Commander Riker. This is, of course, famously a Star Trek wrestling promotion, not a Star Wars wrestling promotion. Uh, so if, if Aaron is Picard on assignment on the away team, uh, then I presume you are Mr. Riker on the bridge. Does that make you Data or Wolf? Or do you feel like you want to be <laughs> Dr. Crusher? Um, hmm, that's hard. I guess... I mean the you know the third person in the little trio, of course, that's that center screen on the bridge and and sort of shares the main, the main sitting area, I suppose, is it's Picard and then Riker and then Counselor Troy, of course, that's right. the, the guidance counselor of the USS Enterprise. Uh, I don't think I'm I'm very much like Counselor Troy. Um, I'm not really much of an empath. Uh, you know, I'll go with no, I can't do that. <laughs> Jordy, uh, I was gonna say Jordy. Uh, <laughs> decided I didn't want to uh, say Jordy. Yeah, I guess I got to go. Data, Data, I think is the next, the next lead cast member. Yeah, I mean, I will fully admit we've extended my next generation knowledge right there. Okay, I, I, I can keep going. Then don't worry about it, Mike. I'll take it from here. I'll just keep okay. talking about Star Trek for, for the next ninety minutes. Um, Tasha Yar. She was a I character. Ha- I've watched most of the first season, and, and I know that Tasha Yar leaves the show partway through. She does. I think she gets sucked into a pile of goo and dies or something. I don't really remember. <laughs> I, I remember Q. I remember Q being oh, a big Q. deal. Yeah. I think they might even be doing like a Q series or something now. I don't. My my father is still very much a uh, a Trekkie. And I mean, he sends me emails with all this information, and then I go. Thumbs up, dad, and then I don't look at it. I got an email from my dad about Bobby Axelrod and Billions. So oh. dads be emailing. They do. They really do. At, at, at 4.30 a.m., they'd be emailing. I, I think his email, it was before I got up. It was like 6.30 in the morning. So he had to have gotten up, done something, and then while he was working, put on an episode of Billions and must have thought, well... My son needs to know about <laughs> Damian Lewis's turn as Bobby Axelrod in the Showtime uh, dramedy Billions. He's right. We do need to know. Thank you, thank you all to all the emailing dads out there. We appreciate it. So you can follow the show at everything AEW. Nate is at Epidesis. I am at Fujiheya. Aaron Bentley is at Aaron Like the Car. Subscribe to the podcast. You just we're on basically. 
every platform imaginable. Just search for Everything Elite and you'll find it. If you choose to use the Apple Podcast app, use please rate us and review five stars only. And the best way to support the show is to go to patreon.com slash everything elite. Three tiers. We'll talk all about our all out related content later on in the show. But Nate, this was episode 101 of Dynamite in Cincinnati. Weird show, but let's get into it. It is time for Elite or Delete, which I, I'm of the school that every episode could be someone's first episode. Elite or Delete is where we pick our favorite and least favorite things on each episode of All Elite Wrestling Dynamite. So, Nate, take it away. What was your favorite thing on tonight's show? I thought there was a lot to like about tonight's show a ton of successful segments and more importantly the whole show just had a feeling energy of being a hot promotion and a show that the people there were really excited to see and uh a little bit of a reset episode and that they set up some new programs and stuff which always is exciting to see and it's what you want to see on a post pay-per-view show i think my favorite thing on this show was maybe not something that i was expecting to be my favorite thing coming in that was the uh, Dante Martin versus Powerhouse Hobbs match, which was, I think, maybe the best individual match on the show. Might have to give that some more thought, but I thought it was a perfect showcase for what there is to like about this promotion, which you definitely want to do on a show like this. They failed to do it on the Dynamite after CM Punk's debut. They came out with a pretty flat show and, and a bunch of segments with old WWE guys off the top being old. Uh, and they did the opposite here with this match. I mean, it wasn't the first segment on the show, but it was, I think, the the standout segment of the first hour. You got two young guys, totally fresh, totally exciting, haven't been overexposed for 25 years on television. They go out, they have a really sound match, uh, and you give Powerhouse Hobbs a decisive win while still giving Dante Martin tons of time to, to shine and, and show all the special things that he can do. So all of that was successful. Uh, and you also have it coming right after the segment of CM Punk and Team Taz. So if you're a new fan turning in to see Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, Ruby Soho, CM Punk, whoever, uh, and you see that CM Punk is set up with Team Taz next, and you go, oh, okay. Well, I know Taz, uh, but I don't know Ricky Starks, or I don't know Powerhouse Hobbs. Um, obviously, Hook, you know, the spitting image of Taz, so you immediately know who that is. Then you get to see Powerhouse <laughs> Hobbs go out and, you know, crush a guy with a uh, uh, a spine buster uh, that's perfect you set him up and he looks like a big deal uh well again you're not marginalizing dante martin he doesn't need to win this match so i thought that was about the perfect match and the perfect way to set that up yeah it's something that at least for me getting a chance to really watch dante martin grow as a professional wrestler is such an exciting thing and similarly powerhouse hobbs really has just wrote into this role and is just really has like it it's a nice thing when you're like a when you are literally a powerhouse and you don't have to like just go move 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 you just focus on some things and they look really sick and one of the things that powerhouse hops focuses on is i'm gonna get really inventive in the way of throwing people around so that tope suicida that he managed to catch uh, Dante Martin on the ropes and then just sling him into the corner, into the ring post, and then working him on the ring post. I thought that was really cool. And a 
fantastic spine buster, which is something that he seemed like he got his bell rung a little bit on those uh, rope and Zagiris. So like the fact that he would had like the awareness to pull that out is really awesome. But I, I think you're really hitting on something that like this, this episode really felt like this is the kind of episode you want to do when you have perhaps a lot more viewers joining in or like a, like a good, like stepping into the show here. I mean, you virtually had almost all the stars on the show, but Chris Jericho, but one would assume that if you're turning onto a wrestling show in 2021, you know who Chris Jericho is at this point, but they, they kept things moving for the most part, like all the matches, like, got about the amount of time you would really hope they would get. And this match is really emblematic of it just because of like, this match was exactly what it needed it to be. And well, with, with one exception, we might talk about. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. We'll, we'll talk about the timing of this show in a little bit, but like this match, like, cause you're absolutely right. Uh, Dante Martin's at a point in his career where this is not a match he needed to win. He had his moments of brilliance showing like, holy shit, this guy is something completely different and is kind of putting his own spin on the idea of being like a young up and coming high flyer. And then powerhouse Hobbs put him down for the count. And I like the fact that we're already kind of moving into a punk and Taz storyline just because one gets us away from Brian cage versus team Taz. That's something that's desperately needed. Hopefully. And to, hopefully one, one could only hope like, I mean, I say that and they still had a Ricky Starks versus Brian cage right. promo later on here. And uh, it, it's something that I feel like that with someone like Punk, who, I mean, we've seen kind of like what it is for him in a big match, kind of getting the rust out. It's going to be interesting to see, like, what is a TV match against Powerhouse Hobbs for CM Punk in 2021? The, it, it, it's very interesting, and it's something you can't outright predict, which is something that I find more compelling is having that question in my mind. And, and yeah. I thought this match was an overwhelming success because of that. That's a lot of the fun. Uh, on this episode too is just having CM Punk go out there and go, Hey, who should I, who should I wrestle next? And and we just have that wealth of opportunities. Like he could go in any direction uh, and, and you're going to be interested no matter what, because there's so many fresh programs for him. So with him set up against team Taz and he's got, you know, at least three young guys that he can, he can work with there. And uh, we can see all those fresh matchups. That's really it, it, it's something that I think is really going to be fun to see for the next few months before, like we, b b before any welcomes worn off, is just like seeing like all the, like the wealth of young guys there, like you're saying. Uh, Nate, my favorite part of the show was the elite segment with the Face Army and Brian Danielson, and let me tell you why. It just was so many different levels of kind of nuts and escalation. We had Nick Jackson looking the most insane he's ever looked on TV with a, with a nose ring, with a chain going to his, his earring. And, and, and I have no illusions here. Those are definitely clip on things, but just like the, the boldness to do that. And now everyone's like, he should wear that in a match. And, and, and that just started off there. Uh, Adam Cole, who's someone that like, I'm kind of hit and miss with, but coming off like, an absolute star and even laying down just a little bit of groundwork about an eventual like him versus Omega kind of thing. And then going straight into Omega and Danielson, we got to see like that's going to be a major direction going forward. And it's the direction you kind of have to do with Danielson. I would say at this point, like you bring in Brian Danielson, you don't have like CM Punk. Can I still go here? You have Brian Danielson. He just wrestled 
four months ago. He is a wrestler of the generation. And then it goes into a complete beatdown, and we have the uh, Babyface Army, Chris, Christian, and Jurassic Express come out for the save. A really late Kazarian run in, which just popped me. And Marco Sunk got thrown into people. Like, there, what was there not to like here, Nate? Yeah, this was pretty great. I really, the Elite Act has been really very fun for a long time now, pretty much since they landed on uh, this idea where they're just super obnoxious sneakerheads with Don Callis being a carny piece of shit. Uh, it's been a joy. That's what the Young Bucks are really best at is being obnoxious and over the top uh, and dynamic while they do it. And really, Adam Cole is about the only thing you could add to that act to upgrade it. And I think he does upgrade it. The I don't know. He brings like he has that same obnoxious kind of core. Uh, and he's got like a little bit of the same smarm as like Don Callis. But he's so polished that it just kind of rounds out the whole unit nicely. Uh, it, you know, it kind of makes it makes Kenny come off even a little better, even while he's the champion. It makes the Young Bucks come across a little bit better. It just feels like a more complete, stable, you know, more of a rounded uh, uh, sort of unit in wrestling that he just has a little bit of polish to, uh, I don't know, give give a little bit of shine to the other guys and, and make them all seem just a little more practiced and and you know full of intention when they do this stuff um so that's excellent i love that uh <laughs> i love just the whole energy you know and very smart you know he, he could have been overshadowed on the pay-per-view by having brian danielson debut immediately after him i don't think he actually was but just to allay any you know fears on that he comes out right away he's the focus of the promo gets the mic time you know sets up what he's there to do and has his first match announced for next week. So I think that's sort of the perfect way to pace all of that with Adam Cole. And then you have the angle set up with the Babyface Army and Brian Danielson coming out. And, you know, we're putting the fast forward button to get to Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson, which I also, yeah, I think is the perfect. It's, it's, you really have, I mean, you know, your fantasy booking a wrestling promotion at this point in time, you know, you want to, you couldn't do any better than having CM Punk and Brian Danielson at the same time, uh, you know, especially for the pro wrestling liking audience that AEW is targeting. Uh, and they're just, they're kind of doing opposite things with, with the two of them. And I think that's pretty much the perfect way to handle it. You take Brian Danielson, who's, you know, multiple time world champion, multiple time WrestleMania main eventer, just main evented WrestleMania. I don't know, two days ago or whatever it was. Uh, and you're just going to throw him right into a program at the top of the card with Kenny Omega and be like, Hey, you're in the world title picture now. And then you take the other guys, CM Punk, and you bring him in. And you're like, hey, they're going to work with all these young guys. And they're going to put some shine on these young guys. Uh, and they're going to, you know, put them to the test and see if we can elevate them uh, using CM Punk as the tool to do that. So that's perfect. Uh, and then the big beatdown angle and uh, all that that played out with, you know, the best part of the elite, Brandon Cutler, ending up as the guy trapped in the middle because he has to get his cold spray uh, is just beautiful. Brian Danielson laying out goofy uh, <laughs> sneakerhead Brandon Cutler, the vlog guy, uh, just just delightful to me, and I was amused the whole time. Yeah, and uh, your point about Adam Cole, I think, is really important because you look at the elite, at least the ones that are under AEW contract, just because, like, yeah, we assume everything with Impact's going to go 
well here, but you're still going to have to have impact considerations with the Good Brothers. But having Cole now, that feels like less of a trio now. And you have like the idea, and I don't think they're going to run fit because Adam Cole is too big of a star right now. But if they wanted to have the idea of Adam Cole as the roadblock, they could play that, but that might be marginalizing Adam Cole in some way. And yeah, it just feels complete now. It feels polished like and you have like different kind of elements whereas like the bucks are just obnoxious and cutler and nakazawa are just flunkies and and don Callis is extra crispy like he got himself somehow like extra tanned between sunday and today like did you notice like how like it was actually a little bit concerning how tan he was like that was george hamilton level tan uh i didn't but that does that's that's kind of what you want because that yeah that's perfect for for who Don Callis is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think they, I think they wait. I mean, I think they should wait anyway on, on elevating Cole to that level. They can have things play out with him elsewhere on the card. You know, they can try it that maybe he does a thing where he's like, we want to have both the titles. We want to have Kenny as the top champ and Cole wants the TNT title or whatever. Uh, but no hurry to get there. I think Frankie Kazarian is like a, a perfect guy for his first match. Um, and this is uh, uh, making the best of Frankie Zarian in this Elite Hunter role, too. Have him come out. Um, you know, they they aren't shy about beating him, but, you know, him is like the the fourth rung in the babyface army with, with the Jurassic Express and Christian Cage is a perfectly fine spot for him. Yeah, no, Kazarian, I mean, this is his role. I mean, he is kind of literally the gatekeeper in a way, and... It works, and it's even something that even kind of works, like the fact that he was so late for the run-in as well. It's like, well, what's he doing? He was too busy hunting elite. He was out in the desert. Who knows what Who knows what Frankie Kazarian is doing? If his Tron video is any indication, this is a guy that gets up to some weird stuff. And maybe it's something that, like, Miro's TNT title run, it's going perfectly fine. Not a, No reason to take the p- title off him. But you have, like, the idea now that you could have Kenny with the world title Adam Cole with the TNT title, the Bucks reclaim the tag team titles. And like that just like there's a lot of juice, I feel like, in this foursome now. And it's really kind of exciting to me to see where it kind of goes from here. And I mean, the, the other nice thing is that you can keep on subbing people in and out of the babyface army to face them like that. There is a lot of mileage, I feel like, in the elite act right now. The listener elite of this week is from our our Discord, if you would like to submit things to Elite or Elite, just sign up to patreon.com slash everything elite and join our Discord. Full Metal Praxis has at least what I picked as the listener elite this week, and that is Taz singing wrestlers' entrances, making its dynamite debut with Taz singing Ruby Soho. Yeah, that was very fun. I mean, Taz was pretty fun all night. The, you know, if if they do this every week, which they do with with Jericho sometimes. Uh, then you get tired of these guys' little foibles or gimmicks or bits or whatever it is that they do. Uh, but this is the first time we've had Taz do this on Dynamite, so I was just uh, you know amused by it and found joy in it. Uh, so I, I enjoyed Taz on the mic for this whole episode. But you know, I don't want I don't want most of these wrestlers on the mic every episode. I want them to to be special little treats, not you know every single week like a Chris Jericho on ramp. Yeah, and it's something that you you 
because of the newness of this, we got to see interactions you don't usually get since he's always on dark with Excalibur, like him and Tony Schiavone deciding just to tee off on JR being old during the main event, talking about like tag or not the main event talk. It was the uh, semi main event talking about tag ropes. And he is like talking about this and the two of them just like taking the piss there. But it's nice to have it as a new thing. This happened for those who don't watch dynamite. Uh, Excalibur is taking time off because he's getting married or he just got married. So they subbed Taz in here, and it was kind of interesting. He actually fully played heel when they really have not had a true blue heel commentator full-time other than, like, Callus hopping in or Chris Jericho who can't control himself. <laughs> right, yeah. Chris Jericho, actually technically a babyface, but does commentary as a heel for some reason uh, just because – you know, he's amused by whatever hack lines Jesse Ventura was doing back in the day, I guess. They really should. They should get Jericho off of Rampage. Um, I mean, they already have too many people on Rampage. But maybe, maybe they should just get rid of, I don't know, most of them and have it just be a rotating cast. Um, you know, if, if if Excalibur's taking a month off, I don't know that he is. But if, if he's taking a month off, uh, you know, put Chuck Taylor on the booth next time. There's all sorts of other guys in this promotion that can talk and do commentary but we're for whatever reason stuck with this same rotation of uh you know taz jericho mark henry um i don't know also bring veda scott back because she was great yeah and it's something that like the one person i wouldn't rotate is excalibur because he's the one person who's good at directing traffic yeah but everyone else like veda colt cabana colt cabana excellent colt cabana done so much commentary <laughs> Yeah, Ricky Starks. I mean, it's time to make uh, AEW Starks a televised thing. I mean, there, there's a lot of things they could be doing. And it was just nice to see a willingness not to do a Jim Ross versus Tony and Tony Schiavone desk as well. So I was pretty happy about that. And so was Full Metal Praxis. Support from this episode of Everything Elite comes to us by our friends at Manscaped, the leaders and below the waist grooming. It's back to school time. Maybe we want to make sure you pack the essentials to have the best year yet. The Manscaped fourth generation performance package is just that. Things are opening up. Be ready for whatever is in the daily schedule for you. It's the perfect package for your package and includes the brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Fellas, go for the Valdictorian of ball trimming and join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by you by going to manscaped.com and use the promo code this is and we've talked about before this is what's in the per, the performance package 4.0 you get the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer the weed whacker ear and nose trimmer the crop preserver ball deodorant the crop reviver toner and plus two gifts the performance boxer briefs and the shed bag and i have to say I enjoy the lawnmower 4.0. It has 7,000 RPM motor, new multifunction on and off switch with a travel lock so you don't drain your battery as you're traveling, and a huge spotlight on it, 4,000K LED. But the Weed Whacker, I've gone through some really cheap ear and nose trainers in my time, but the Weed Whacker with its 9,000 RPM motor with, six, with a 360-degree rotary dual-blade system just does the job incredibly well and that's not to mention how great the liquid formulations are because after you're cleaning your troops and cleaning your holes show them some love with the manscaped liquid formulations the crop preserver ball deodorant and the crop reviver ball toner are here to get you ready for class during the day and to party at night 
here's what you need to do if you want to take advantage of this offer. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code THISIS at manscaped.com. That is 20% off plus free shipping with promo code THISIS at manscaped.com. This year, graduate with a degree in clean balls from Manscaped. So, Nate, that was all the positive stuff on the show. Oh, oh! how do you think I handled that there? <laughs> that was pretty good. I was trying to think of some banter to do. The best I could come up with, uh, what kind of job do you think you get with a degree in clean balls? What does that make you qualified for? I think a hydrodynamic, uh, just uh, whatever <laughs> hydrodynamics are. <laughs> okay, yeah. Texas educational sense. system. I mean, you're not going to aquaplane, or you are going to aquaplane. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely... Definitely physics and and water involved for sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's what it, it we have to do, or like pollen protection with like getting your nose and ear trimmed. You're not having as much sinuses, so maybe it's sinology. Okay, but that's the the, the the that's not the degree though. The degree was specifically for clean balls. So yes, yeah. All right, let's get into the delete. There's one overwhelming thing that should we just get into the 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 one bullshit thing in the. And it's not about it. They paced this show. The timing of the show was so off that in the main event that I looked on the TV when it came on because I was wondering how much time this was going to get, Nate. It went, they started the entrances at 1045 and they cut off the chorus of Kaze Ninare and they had a 12 minute match. And then John Moxley went and wondered the crowd for three minutes. Yeah, just a, a huge Gaff. It was a flub. It was a big flub in the main event segment. Uh, and, you know, I appreciate that it felt like they were coming up against some time constraints on the show because they jammed a ton of shit into this show. They had, you know, the matches and then they had so many pre-tapes and backstage segments and talking segments. This felt to me like the show that had the most advertised uh, talking segments of anyone, any dynamite that they've run. It was like, yeah, we have these matches, but CM Punk's going to talk. Brian Danielson's going to talk. MJF's going to talk. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Dan Lambert's going to talk. Whatever they all are. And they just, they didn't have the confidence, I guess, in their pacing because they got to Minoru Suzuki and they fucking cut off the song before it got to the, <laughs> got to the high spot. It was unbelievable. Uh, and everybody was mad about it. Uh, it it's maybe AEW's biggest blunder since letting Matt Hardy continue that match after being knocked silly from like a 15 foot fall onto concrete. I think this is right up there with that in terms of uh, irresponsible moves by AEW. Um, and then, yeah, the, the match went short. So then they vamped for fucking two minutes at the end. And it was like, okay, now we're going to keep talking about the rampage card. Actually, <laughs> I mean, even before the song, when Tony was plugging the Rampage card, you could hear him going at hyperspeed. He's like, oh, we got to get this. Gotta get... And then they fucking had a short match. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's I think, the universal, maybe first ever unanimous delete in uh, EE pod history. Yeah, Nate, I know that you, you dip your toe into Discord. You're usually not around during the shows. I've never seen the Elite or Delete channel just spark off. At, as soon as this happened, everyone knew what needed to get buried. And, and the crazy thing was, it wasn't just a time-pacing thing just for the main event. Because I don't know how much it was on the fight feed, but CM Punk went short on his promo. They weren't ready to throw the break. 
So they kept the camera on him, giving high fives to everyone. You know, something you do in a commercial break when the cameras aren't on. You're like, thanks for coming, thanks for coming for 90 seconds. Like it was a solid minute and a half that they were short on. And I know that a live television show is a living thing that things can change over time. You have to act on your toes. But that's 90 seconds right there that maybe that 90 seconds could have been used for you go to break and you use that for Kaze Ninare. Everyone, like, it's just not intent. You should know that your fan base is going to want that. Like, you should know yeah. that. I, I think they do know that. I think they probably knew as soon as they did it that they messed up. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they just made the wrong choice in that moment, it feels like. Got over eager or something. Uh, but, yeah, it is hard for me to tell on the fight feed because – I, I get a lot of those like post promo segments where people are exiting and slapping hands or whatever that wouldn't typically be on TV. So it's hard for me to say all the time, like, Oh, that was a weird, weirdly paced thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, throughout the show, it felt like they were juggling so many people and so many stories, which I love. I love, you know, keeping all those balls in the air and being like, Hey, hey uh, Santana and Ortiz, they're here too. They just got a big win. We don't want them to, you know, get forgotten about or whatever. So um, you know, I, I think it was just a, a, a accumulation of difficulties on the timing. Yeah. And, and, and it's something that, I mean, with all those like promo packages, like, you know, that the, since they're pre-taped, you know how much time you need for it. So it's like, all right, like we need to have 60 seconds for Santana and Ortiz. We need to have a minute for, uh, Hardy family office and orange cast. Like you have to have these certain things here. And, and the one thing that you're able to adjust on the fly is, how long a match is or how long a promo is and be like, all right, we got, sorry, we got to cut a minute and a half or yeah, we're a little ahead. So feel free to fill time and fill yourself. And it's just, it's something that I don't feel like they usually have an issue of doing, which is something a, a hundred episodes in. And this is like what I feel like is the most egregious like timing error that they've had. So kind of a weird kind of uh, thing. And it's just something that I mean, you're going to have Minoru Suzuki on national TV. What are you going to really want to show in his entrance? You want to see six to 7,000 crazy Cincinnatians shouting out the chorus, and it just did not happen. All right, so we got that out of the way. Nate, what else would you say is the lead on the show? Yeah, so that was definitely my number one with a bullet by a wide margin. So, um, you know, I really, I, I liked most of the individual, I, no, I think I liked all the individual segments on this show. They were all pretty successful. If I want to delete one thing in particular, um, <laughs> just in terms of my interest level and my wrestling history or whatever it is. So they do this FTR versus Dark Order six-man match, um, which is fine. You know, uh, FTR just lost, so good for them to get kind of a rehab win, I think. And they're doing this story with the Dark Order where they're not on the same page because Adam Page is gone. So that's fine. You're, you know, you're not really hurting them with a the loss or anything. People are still going to like them. But uh, Tully, so Tully Blanchard goes backstage and we have another talking segment. Um, and Tully Blanchard's exposed on this show because he's in a show with 15 other great talkers. And now it's like, okay, yeah, Tully Blanchard, he has a name um, from before your time. And you, you know, he's another one of these old guys. That just doesn't do anything for me. And the promo doesn't do anything for me. And the, I don't know, nostalgia combination of Tully Blanchard and Sting doesn't do anything for me. 
and setting it up with another featured Sean Spears match where he's going to go 50-50 with Darby the same way he went 50-50 with Sammy Guevara and fucking kicked out of the 630 really does not do anything for me. So I'm all, I'm out on all of that. I just don't. That's I think replaced the uh, Brian Cage face turn as my least appealing program in AEW right now is taking Darby from this huge featured match with a you know contemporary legend where uh, uh, TJ Hawk gave it four and a half stars out of five and called it the match of the year or whatever, and taking Darby from that and then putting him opposite Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard. That's that's a dud to me. I I think I, now that I'm talking about it more, I think I hate it. Uh, so that's that's my delete. This Darby should do should be doing anything else. And it's something that Darby took a big loss. It's a loss that everyone expected. But how are you supposed to like reclaim like any sort of momentum against Sean Spears? Yeah, I mean he's gonna he's gonna win, so that's something, I guess. But. What is I mean? What does the win mean? It doesn't win mean anything. I mean, Sean Spears is the bottom person in the pinnacle. It means nothing. Uh, so he is the least important client of Tully Blanchard. Like to the extent that when before the pinnacle like showed up and became like a formal thing, it was like, oh yeah, like that's weird. He's also Tully's also managing a tag team with this one guy, and they're not related whatsoever. And I, it, it's something that. Like yeah, totally is good at what he does, but when you're on a show with a is he promo, that, is he that good at what he does? He's like fine I, at what he does, but I, now I, I mean he's competent. He's good at what he does, and that he doesn't like take away from anything like this. He, he doesn't cuts a better, shit the bed, sure, but he, he doesn't, cuts better promos than his clients. He doesn't cut better promos than MJF. Yeah, but MJF's guess, not his direct client. Yeah, though. he's just it's a very, very replacement level, very little value added with Tully Blanchard to me. And now we have to do I don't know, maybe it's just Sting really wants to work with him again. Maybe, uh. But like why would you want to have Sting with his health issues with Tully Blanchard who's been who's been basically retired for twenty years? Like that just seems like that seems like a match uh, a match Nate that I would go see in Spartanburg at some like JCP like tribute <laughs> show. They should, yeah. If they want to do this program, they should bring back the fifty seconds for fifty plus on BTE and have it be strictly uh trying to attract fifty plus viewers to the vlog. Yeah, it's just that's just really bizarre, and I'm glad that you talked about this aspect of it, Nate, because the the thing that I, I'm just so tired of, and I know this is also because I watch Dark and Elevation, and I get a lot of it through that, and then through the vlogs. This Dark Forder infighting, yes, it has the obvious endpoint of like Hangman going like, come on guys, we're a family, and everyone just goes like, oh, okay. But the Dark Order is getting, this might just be me being hyper tuned to something because I don't like it. And I'll admit that might be a level of unconscious bias here, but the dark order is getting progressively less over each time they do this thing. Like, and it's something that like evil Uno and, uh, and Alan angels had a match on dark last night where the crowd was outright confused. So it's not just that, like, this is not over. It's something that's requiring a level of investment for them to know what's going on, that the fans are just like, we don't want to see this. We don't want to be invested in it. And then you like, you have just like this thing where like they start fighting and, and, and Ty Conti and Anna J try to like break it up. But the boys are too rowdy right now. And it's just like, I get it. 
we all know what the endpoint is here. The endpoint will have a great relief, but you're doing damage now that's going to harm what's going to happen when Hangman comes back. Yeah. So I, I already have a predilection to be wary of their stable breakup angles because, you know, not not just that they've done like a ton of them. I probably, you know, I probably in my mind overstate or overimagine how many of these angles they've done. But then because we come on the show and talk about them so much, it makes me get like doubly tired of them. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, the, the, so I just have this predilection already where, you know, I just have this voice in the back of my head that is looking out for this thing. And it's like, oh, they're doing another uh, angle where the stable is falling apart and it's the bullet club is fine thing. And now it's the dark order is fine thing. Uh, and they're not fine. They're fighting. So I'm already predisposed to not liking it. The, the, the way it's playing out so far with Alan angels, like seemingly being on the, on the furthest outs. Uh, and then evil Uno and Stu Grayson are all, all on the side where they just are going <laughs> to take people at their word and do what they want them to do. Um, is not compelling to me. I don't, doesn't make me more interested in either guy or make me want to, you know, argue with either side or, you know, be more fond of one than the other or anything like that. Uh, I guess, you know, the Anna J part, that's, I think, maybe a, a silver lining with, with Ty Conti involved in there. Uh, you know, that could maybe qualify as a women's angle that passes the Brit Dell test, uh, of course, which, which Aaron introduced on one of our Patreon shows, which is, you know, does this angle <laughs> involving women not involve Britt Baker? Uh, so maybe there's a silver lining there that those two women have something to do that gives them some time on TV that isn't explicitly about Britt Baker. Um, so I guess maybe I'll hang my hat on that and just say, oh, there's, there's something we can watch for. And maybe, maybe the dark order will find it in themselves and rally around Anna instead of waiting for hangman page. Maybe that's a way to make it a little more palatable. I suppose that's all I got. Yeah. It's something that like Anna coming back and being like, all right, you knuckleheads get your act together. Like I was the chosen one. Brody called me the chosen one. I'm taking control here. Uno, you can't do this. This is now my stable. That's also like a cool dynamic too. Like there's a lot of mileage there and it's infinitely more interesting and it's not doing like the the damage because like Nate, you were at the United Center. You saw the crazy pop that evil Uno got coming out there. Like, it, it's gone from that a few weeks ago to the pop tonight for the Dark Order coming out against a very cold pinnacle team. Like, to be fair, like there's no stakes there whatsoever. And it's already doing the harm. Like the storyline has to end. Yeah, you know, they're also not doing bits on BTE really at all recently that I that come to mind. Didn't Uno start his own vlog? Like, like too many vlogs. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> If he did, I haven't watched it, uh, but it certainly feels like they haven't been, you know, there's no John Silver doing Johnny Hungy stuff on BTE anymore. So that's, you know, taking a little bit away from what people like about the act. The most over guy in the match was Colt Cabana, who never fucking wrestles in this promotion. <laughs> there was a giant Colt Cabana match, uh, and he just fucking never is on Dynamite Wrestling. So it it it. it. It's confusing, and it's something that, like I said, I don't know how long the Dark Order has when they came back to crowds and instantly was proven wrong and be like, no, the Dark Order has mileage here. 
doing this is retroactively proving me right because they are booking them into just oblivion at this point and it's really really bad in my opinion uh listener to lee on the show this goes back to the big overall one this is from john neve uh the pacing of the entire show from cutting kazaninare to letting dan lambert ramble this episode was formatted so poorly also ungodly amount of camera cuts on the show what is going on here yeah i i mean i'm not gonna relitigate the timing stuff uh i don't the dan lambert thing i think is still like fine to me I, putting him up in a skybox kind of just gives it a unique way to shoot it and a unique way to address the the crowd without having somebody come out to the ring so i like that element of it yeah um but yeah you know the direction i think when dante martin does that spot where he launches off the bottom up rope and and fucking jumps 30 feet uh that was shot poorly on this show um when you're when you see that in the stadium in an arena even if you're in the 300 level like it's just so much more impressive in person that they need to, you know, find a wide shot of that or something so we can appreciate how high he is off the fucking ground. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would never, <laughs> I'm always in favor of fewer cuts and more wide shots and just, mm-hmm. you know, slowing the pace down a little bit just in terms of the camera. Yeah. The one camera shot that they did tonight that I thought was kind of inventive was in the opener when Dustin went for the Canadian destroyer and they started it from the floor and they, they shot it like bottom up, like so you can actually like, kind of see like all right them flipping over. And I was like, "That's neat." I don't know mm. if it's useful, but that's neat. I didn't. I did clock that shot, um, so it certainly felt unique to me, and was like, "Oh." Uh, but I, I that goes in hand in hand with. I think they just have too many tight close shots in general. Yeah, they cut too often to people's faces. Cut too often to you know, a, a tight shot of their bodies while they're doing a hold or whatever. Uh, just, you know, I think the, the action even plays out better when you have a, when you pull it back a little bit and you can get more of the full frame of the ring and, and see the moves play out and see the people, you know, reacting behind them. I think that adds a ton to a show. You don't have dead crowds here. You have people going wild in the background. So let it breathe a little bit and let us see the, the full experience of being in the building. I think. Yeah, and gives them perspective, and you're able to see like angles and see like, oh wow, like the height that Dante Martin got on like his flying crossbody was just insane. If you keep it tight, you're just like, oh, this guy's flying through there. You're not like, oh yes. wait, yes. this guy's ten feet above the ring. Absolutely. Hey Nate, do you like Easy Money? Mike, I that's is that a that's got to be a wrestler, right? I know, I know you're doing an ad read, but wasn't there a wrestler <laughs> named Easy Money? Yes, there was there was Easy Money and ECW. E- ECW, okay, I can't bring him to mind, uh, but one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Why do you ask, Mike? Because who doesn't like Easy Money? If you head to mybookie.ag and bet the lock of the season, and Nate, this is an insane lock. This is Easy Money, and let me tell you why. It's you're betting on this prop bet that when any score happens in the Dallas Cowboys and Tampa Bay Buccaneer game, you win. It's the best bet you can make. Okay, so I'm I'm basically betting that the game will not finish zero to zero. Yes, you are because here's why it's such a short bet, Nate. A game has not finished zero to zero since World War Two. That seems like a long time. That's yeah. uh, I think 
trying to gauge that in terms of how old Tolly Blanchard is. Yeah, it seems like forever ago. Yeah, uh, before Tolly Blanchard was born. So, okay. Yeah, since virtually all of our listenership has been born, there's not been a zero to zero tie in the NFL. But it's really that simple. You join my bookie right now and place a bet on the lock of the season and the first point score in the season opener on Thursday. So by the time you all listen to this, log on to mybookie.ag and do this, you automatically cash. My bookie is playing host to several exclusive contests, including their $100,000 super contest, and it costs only $10 to enter. There's big money on the line this season, so don't don't wait to get into the game. Join now. What you need to do, head to mybookie.ag today and use our promo code ELITE and instantly receive double your first deposit. That's double your funds, double your winnings. Again, that's promo code ELITE to receive Double your first deposit and get started with my bookie today. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. You know, I kind of, there's no way to place this bet, obviously, but I feel like there will never be a 0-0 game again in the history of the NFL because kickers are just too good now. Yeah, no, like it, it's virtually impossible. I think it's, I think it's pretty much literally impossible. I mean, I guess technically the circumstances for it are not impossible, but in actuality, I imagine it never happens again. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're making a, a supposition there that for five, for essentially five quarters of play, no one will score a point one way or another. Right, and, you know, kickers will just kick from 60 yards now. So until indoors. they... Indoors, yeah. they'll kick $60, 60 yards indoors. Until they narrow the, the field goal posts to, like, I don't know, an eighth of the size, then mm-hmm. uh, not, not going to happen. Now, if they did that, I mean, we're getting to some mutant league stuff there. Like, don't stop there. I mean, you might as well make like passing lanes, moats. Like, like we mm-hmm. can make it a zero to zero game, but it's they should they should effort. also genetically engineer mutants to play in the game. I mean, dude, professional athletes now they kind of are mutants to begin <laughs> with. Hmm. This is uh, you're coming out. Uh, is this you in favor or against uh, the gas, Mike? I mean, I'm in favor of the gas for everyone but myself. Okay. I, I, I believe in the choice. If you want Fair. to get on it, get on it. However, I will choose not to. Fair enough. So let's get into the rest of the show itself. We opened up with a recap of All Out. This was a bit more of a substantial one that they had on Dark and Elevation, where they just had moving photos and voiceovers. And that led straight into the opener. Mordecai Black versus Dustin Rhodes. Black won... <laughs> Malachi Sorry? Black. What did I call him? Mordecai. Mordecai? Malachi. I wrote down that you see Nate does you see Nate. Aaron does the notes here. Mm. And I write down my own things in my notes basically to remind remember myself, but I put down Mordecai. I apologize. Did did, did WWE Mordecai, did he have a last name? He was no. all white, right? His thing yes. was that he was okay. Yeah, he was all white and you know, Kevin Vertick. He was also the uh what was his the vampire? He was the ECW vampire. Kevin that's Thorne. Right. Kevin Thorne, right? Was that him? Yeah, Wait. that's him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He. They should bring him in as Malachi Black's tablet guy. I think there's some mileage there. I think that's got some legs. But Malachi Black defeated Dustin Rhodes with a leg trip into an exposed turnbuckle and then won with a spinning heel kick. And I was kind of surprised this opened up because I was expecting like a Cody running to like set up the uh, queens match so i thought this would potentially go on last were you kind of surprised with it starting off the show this way i think this was a pretty good place to put it um i think because it kind of served two masters 
one, the crowd is super hot for Malachi Black, and they like Dustin, so they were hot for this match. And that's good because you want the big hot crowd for the first match. Uh, but also it doesn't like motivate me a ton and get me super excited. And that's how I like my cards laid out is like, no, the stuff you're most interested in is toward the end of the show. So in that way, I was like, oh, this is a great opener. You get you get both of those things where it's a match that I'm not super personally invested in, but everyone else is. Um, mostly, and, and you know, succeeded in, I think, uh, advancing the story and making the crowd see what they wanted to see, I guess. I don't, Cody did not appear. They did announce Cody versus Malachi Black for the Queens match, um, which I guess is just the way they do that. I think that I, it seems like it's fine just having those announcements come out of the blue. Uh, but the real, my real complaint with with this match is Malachi Black did not get him with the black mass spinning heel kick or whatever it is. Is it it's heel kick toe kick? It, it's a heel kick. A kick. Okay. Yeah. Um, which, you know, happens. It's, it seems like it's probably a difficult move, and Dustin Rhodes is not a short guy. He's taller than most wrestlers nowadays. So mm-hmm. he got him, like, on the back with it, which that's fine. Taz actually did a great job covering it up and is like, oh, well, Dustin Rhodes fucking ate the turnbuckle, you know, exposed turnbuckle before that. So that's probably where we really put him out. Did a great job covering for it. But then the AEW account gifted it and made a gif. Oh, they did. And was like, Oof. oh, you don't get up for this from this or something. And it's like, no, we can see it landing on his shoulder blade. Just stay away from it. It looks bad. <laughs> don't don't put it in slow motion on your account over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and especially considering like Dustin is much bigger than Malachi Black. Like Dustin's like 6'5". So like Taz did an excellent job saving it there. And it's just like, come on, guys. Show like the turnbuckle bump if you're going to. It's like this led to the end for Dustin Rhodes trying to defend the Rhodes family honor there. Like it just kind of like this. Uh, how are you feeling about like Malachi Black now that he's been firmly in the promotion now for a few months? He's starting to no longer have just outright squash matches, and he's kind of seems like they're finishing off this uh, Cody storyline. We all were a little bit like tentative with the lore here, but I feel like this would be a good time just to check like. How are you feeling about Malachi? Certainly I'm enjoying him more than I feared that I would. Uh, They have basically until this match, mostly focused on him kicking a guy in the face and them dying, uh, which was working great for me because his, his cool kick is like the number one thing about him. So, and the crowd's really into it. And that's, you know, I want to see this promotion create stars. I like seeing, stars get over and get huge reactions and the stories play out from there. Uh, and they've succeeded at most of the important parts of that. So, you know, I'm not fucking picky about, you know, the little intricacies of a match or whatever, as long as they get to those big successful moments. Uh, my only real ex- aesthetic complaint now is just the eye makeup. The eye makeup is still goofy. It will be goofy. Uh, you can see that he doesn't actually have, you know, some malignant dark entity crawling out of his face. I think that's pretty clear, which means that you look at the guy and you go, oh, that guy stared in a mirror and applied makeup to himself for 15 minutes before coming out here, uh, which just ta- it takes away from the mystique for me. It doesn't add to the mystique. It takes away from it. And I go, oh, that's Tommy and applying some gray makeup. Uh, you know, it, it just makes it seem less spooky, if anything. So that's still my my big take. Yeah, I, it, it's it's something that they, like they dialed down or dialed back about ninety five percent of the spooky black craft shit 
And now it's just like that's like a vestige there. And if it's just going to be like outright face paint on there and just treating it that way and not like an evil eye, then I mean, it's a home run across the board there. I, I'm completely. Yeah, if it was war paint, then it'd be fine. I'd be like, okay, that's, I don't know, Dutch war paint <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but, it, you know, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's supposed to be that. It seems like it's supposed to be some malignant, spooky entity that lives inside of his cranium. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, it's something that I think we're going to be getting punished Cody again. So we'll see how how spooky yeah, he is then. I'm going to be annoyed, I think, if Cody just comes out and wins in Queens. that's I know that's like a babyface storyline in wrestling or whatever. Uh, but just the same beats where, you know, he comes out, some heel destroys him, he disappears for a while, then he just shows up and wins and... You know, when he, when that happens because he went away to film a different TV show, where is the character growth and the character progression and the babyface arc that makes us go, now he can win. Now, you know, he's discovered whatever to come back against Malachi Black or Brody Lee or whoever it is, uh, or Anthony Agogo. Uh, we don't, we just don't see that. It doesn't happen. We just have to imagine that it happened while he was hanging out with DJ Khaled or something. No, T-Pain. Uh, and that's that's annoying to me. Yeah, I mean, it was one thing when I was like, all right, he went away. And then it's like, coincidentally, it happened. Now it's a trend. So, like, it's just, and it's something that, like, I usually feel like I'm someone defending, like, the angles and the storylines of Cody. But there has to be, like, something. And I think that it would be really kind of fitting. And I think it would do a whole lot of good, at least for... Uh, Malachi Black. If if he the, the the match in Queens is the exact same thing, the exact same thing that happened in <laughs> yes. Jacksonville. That would be sick, actually. Yeah, just kicked his ass again, and just like, no, you are done here. And, yeah, and, and then like, and then and then Malachi Black can bring his boot in or whatever, and be like, now give me the other one, and takes his other boot. Yeah, yeah, and then eventually Cody has to wrestle with only socks on. Yes, just because of continuity reasons. Mm-hmm, he, right. He doesn't. No, he's, just, for sure. Yeah. Uh, then we got into some uh, segments portion of the show. First off was Lucha Brothers. Uh, Fennec said they're now the best tag team in the universe. Penta said that these championships cost them their blood, sweat, and tears. And anyone who's willing to suffer is welcome to take them from them. Pretty standard, you know, kind of promo there, I would say. Just, just, just they did a bunch of quick hits with these because right after that, we had a TNT title promo. Eddie Kingston with one of, the, one of his great lines he brought up god and he said god has no favorites and when it rains it rains on the just and on the unjust just the same what does miro have to say to counter that eddie kingston i had to ice my balls the day after and i guess that storyline is continuing yeah uh he had to ice his balls because he had sex with his hot wife that's that's key element of miro's character yeah i i mean he has absolute command of his character i used to say that pack had the best awareness of who he is as a wrestler no now it's miro Wow. Hey, I mean, I mean, Miro's incredibly consistent. He does things for his eventual god and, you know, to fuck his wife. I mean. You're not wrong. Two motivations. Two motivations. And then we had CM Punk. He came out. He thanked everyone. He mentioned that it was like riding a violent bicycle, which is something he said in that Road 2 that happened earlier this week. And then he started to play the role of now he's AEW's big hype man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shouting out Minoru Suzuki, Carl Gotch trained, King of Pancrase. Aunt Linda, that's Brian Pillman's aunt right there. Y'all watched uh, the Dark Side of the Ring. That episode was fucked up. But Aunt Linda, she's cool. 
and now I want to know what's next. And then Taz gets really angry and says, keep our mit- our names out of your mouth. And it was all about the fact that Punk mentioned he wanted to face Hobbs and Ricky and wanted to see what the deal is with Hook. Uh, Punk called out his chump car and said, all right, well, I want all of y'all. And then the segment went really short. And as we mentioned earlier, they filled for time because they mistimed this thing. Yeah, the exciting part of this was just the potential programs that it set up with with Punk and Team Taz, as we already discussed. Um, we got to figure out a way. You know, Punk's still extremely over. He's going to be over when he visits all these towns for the first time, I think. Um, but we got to find some way to 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 get his edge back or maintain his edge or something. Um, oh, what's it? He's straight edge. You don't break edge. Uh, he hasn't broken edge, so this is a hard word to apply. But, you know, he's he's too smiley, happy baby face right now, right? Which is fine, him being a baby face, but him doing the John Cena role of, oh, I'm going to talk about what's on the card. I'm going to talk about how great all the fans are. I'm going to talk about how great the company is. I'm going to talk about how great this person's aunt is. Um, that does not fit him super well, I don't think. Uh, you know, people were attracted to him because he was a heel, and then a cool heel and then, you know, a, a badass baby face or whatever. Uh, and right now he's just like smiley, happy go lucky baby face a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there was a little element of that where he was like, he told Taz, don't you ever interrupt me again. And people were, people were hungry for that because they popped big for it. Uh, but yeah, he's got to find, just find a way to add a little edge to it or whatever, where he's not just doing all, I'm going to put over my opponents and be happy about the young guys and, and, and you know, put use the same lines in my promo packages and Twitter and my promos on television. Uh, just got to find a little, little verve to put on there. Yeah, just give it time. I mean, Punk will find something to be miserable about, like this. <laughs> yes, but like Aaron made the really good point on the this is uh, CM Punk that this will not end well. Eventually, at the end, like keep like keep on letting it play out because eventually there will be a blow up here and. It does seem like that punk is just too like happy go lucky old man punk, and it's something that I guess like as people who've seen CM Punk for the last twenty years, we just expect him eventually to get angry at something to show the little bit of the verve that you're talking about, and it'll be interesting to see if Taz is able to pull that out. I feel like that that's kind of kind of be the uh, that's going to be the difficulty in the storyline here. Up uh, next up was Santino Ortiz, another quick backstage promo. They are done with FTR, and now they're going for the tag team titles. Three years in the company, and now they're finally going for the tag team titles. Uh, that brought up uh, Ruby Soho backstage with Tony Schiavone. Uh, Britt Baker, uh, Rebel, and Jimmy Hayter came out pretty quickly soon after. Ruby mentioned that she wanted to have this match to prove that she was not a flash in the pan. Britt said that she was the flavor of the month. They brought uh, Ruby brought up the fact that they have a lot of history. I think that's a john thorne aiw reference there and then made fun of all of her nicknames but Britt had the dagger of the line he says oh you're the runaway runaway to catering where you spent the last four years of your life yeah i thought this was really pretty great i didn't really know what to you know i'd seen uh heidi lovelace a bunch in like aaw where she was just wrestling matches really um and some wrestling some intergender matches and wrestling some women's matches and was always very over and very reliable. Um, but I think this is the first time I've seen her do like a interview segment or like an acting segment or any kind of, you know, promo battle segment. Uh, and I was pretty impressed. I thought maybe, 
I guess this is a silly thing to think. May, may, I probably thought, oh, maybe she's not very good at those, and that's why she wasn't, you know, featured in WWE or something like that. Of course, it doesn't matter what you're good at in WWE to to decide how they're going to use you or if they're going to use you. And you might be really good, and they might use you a lot, and they might just fire you anyway. So that's a crazy train of thought to even begin to go down. Um, but I was I was very impressed with her going toe to toe with Britt Baker and. Aaron Bentley has been very concerned about Britt Baker's alignment and the alignment of the people opposite her. And Ruby Soho, both here and in the match angle, got big baby face reactions and got the crowd to boo Britt. So I think they've hit on something with Ruby here uh, and and her going toe-to-toe with her in this promo battle, I think, came off really well. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. It's something that, you know, just... I, I would not know because someone who's not watched WWE for the better part of half a decade now, but like she cut a great babyface promo. Like they were able to like really make this work here. Like yet another way of misusing someone by like not giving them the opportunity there. Just kind of, kind of wild. And then, I mean, Britt is fast on her feet and I thought that that was a awesome dagger line to end that up. Then we had the powerhouse Hobbs versus Dante Martin match that we talked about before that brought up afterwards Dan Lambert in his uh, in his box partitioned away from the rest of the show. He buried all the new signings. He made a very long analogy about speaking his truth and like doing the proof and doing the truth. Promo, in my opinion, kind of lost its way. Then he used some crowd bait to get the folks back into it. But I'm just it, it's something that like I totally get what he's doing. I'm just ready to like see what the next step is here. Like we've done this now for a few weeks. I'm ready to see. Men of the year with Dan Lambert and with Andre Olovsky. Like, what is this thing going to be as like an in-ring product? Because we've seen a lot of it out of the ring now, and I'm ready to see what the next step is, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I kind of even like the the idea of what Dan Lambert is doing is like a proxy for your Jim Cornettes and your uh whoever else uh, you know, doing all these old timer complaints about AEW. Uh, that are all like backhanded compliments. And it's like, yeah, you guys actually like this thing that's really entertaining and fun and popular. Um, I I like that idea. I think he usually has some pretty good lines in the content of his promo to get to that idea. Uh, but do I think it's an upgrade over what Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky were just doing without him? I don't think that I do, <laughs> which is weird because it's not like I was super high on Ethan Page or anything. But... I don't know. Now Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky are just not talking at all. Uh, and they were doing really well in the Darby and Sting feud. So I don't know. I, th- this feels like a downgrade instead of an upgrade. And I think you should be trying to upgrade your talent. Well, Nate, as the biggest Ethan Page fan, you would have to acknowledge that this is using Ethan Page in his best to, to his best abilities, which is making goofy faces that he's going to gif and put up on like gif machines on Twitter <laughs> and on Discord. Uh, you know, I, I think you're probably right most of the time on that. However, it seemed to me they shot this from the other side of Dan Lambert. So Dan Lambert was obscuring a lot of Ethan Page's goofy faces on this particular episode. That's true. That's true. But in theory, that's, that's like the best use of Ethan Page to do that with that. All right. That led us like another quick backstage video. Matt Hardy wants to shave Orange Cassie's hair. Uh, Orange Cassidy was with Chuck Taylor and Wheeler Yuta. Chuck like whispered something to his ear, and then Orange Cassidy says he doesn't care. So, not only is this feud not over from the uh, buy-in, but it looks like that we might be teasing an Apuestas match between Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy, Nate. 
That's sick. I love that. I I mean, this is like an Arena Puebla payday right here for Matt Hardy. Yeah, that I love that. That's sick. Um, you know, <laughs> didn't didn't have really a lot of love for their first match or anything, but the goofiness of making it a Puestas match, I guess hair versus hair. I don't know, hair versus sunglasses, maybe. Maybe that's how you do it with orange. I guess. That's funny to me, and I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, and, and Matt's going to his head shaved, and I'm actually kind of intrigued to what Matt Hardy looks like bald. Yeah, I don't know if that's a great move. Oh, it's a terrible move for a man at his age, given that he's had <laughs> right. long hair his entire career. Yeah. But it's, but it's going to be wild. Yeah. He's going to look insane. We'll he's going to look insane. Uh, MJF came out to the ring. He started complaining immediately about how the finish got overturned, that he did not only beat... Chris Jericho three times, maybe even four times, but it got overturned. Then he started uh, turning it onto Cincinnati. He called it Shit Cincinnati, and it's the Midwest because everything in it is mid. Then he started crowd baiting, going for the guardrail, and went right after Brian Pillman's daughter, just like making comments, just like sexist comments there, which brought out Brian Pillman Jr. saying, Hey, you can't make fun of my family you can't do this i'm from a city that breeds badasses like brian pillman as he's wearing his dad's football jersey but then mjf makes a swallows joke about melanie pillman and that sets off brian pillman jr he storms the ring warlow gets told off and told stand in the corner and stay pretty you didn't help out on sunday you're not helping out here but that as warlow does as he's told he stands in the corner facing away Brian Pillman Jr. attacks, but then Warlow finally gets him out of it. Uh, Griff Garrison comes in from the save as he was getting beat down, and Griff Garrison gets fucking wrecked with a clothesline, and that's a program that we have going forward. Yeah, I think this is a good next program for MJF um, because they obviously see a lot in Brian Pillman, so they want to give him a next segment. Hopefully this, if they're doing Griff Garrison being involved, then hopefully this involves more Wardlow uh, like matches on television, so I can see some tag matches with Wardlow or something. Because never see him wrestle. Um, I, the segment itself, uh, this felt like the most reaction, the biggest heat, the most successful that any of these like MJF Attitude Era GP kind of promo segments has ever gotten. Like yeah. it, it, it felt like they were eating up. They were getting giving him exactly the reaction that he wanted for all these lines. Uh, the mid stuff was funny. Um, yeah, and you know, even uh, I think maybe if I were editing this, I would have said, "Hey Wardlow, take two extra beats before you save MJF, and just like you know, milk that a little bit, and really let the that set into the crowd. Like, oh, you know, not only is MJF pissed at Wardlow, but Wardlow's letting him you know stew in that for a little bit." Uh, and that that maybe gives it a little more if I was editing the segment. But in terms of setting up the program uh, and and you know advancing that dynamic with MJF and Wardlow, I think it succeeded on all of that. Yeah, and for MJF, he's not going to be challenging for titles against heel champions at this point. So you might as well do something that's just going to be an inconsequential feud there. I think that that makes total sense there. And Pillman cut a decent promo. Promo like there's there's there's. There's some mileage here, not a lot of mileage, but there is enough mileage to get to this being more than just the match, I think. Then we had John Moxley backstage. He's talking about how he wasn't afraid of Minoru Suzuki. That brought us to the top of the hour with Jamie Hayter versus Ruby Soho. Ruby won with her overhead kick. 
I remember her like finish used to be like a Hurricane Rana driver, like back on the Indies. I don't know when she started doing the kick, but I looked it up. That's her finish now, apparently. Well, there was a version of a Hurricane Rana driver in this match or something. Yeah, so this match was a lot of Jimmy Hayter dominating into the commercial break, including tearing up a Ruby Soho sign. Just classic stuff with that. And the match kind of fell apart because it looked like Jimmy's done like this electric chair drop where she gets someone up on their shoulders and then throws them forward on a slam, but instead looked like that did not have the balance and instead turned into like a weird half poison Rana like sidewalk slam. And they went straight to the finish from there. Post-match, Britt and the crew beat down Ruby, which brought out Riho, who, of course, I mean, she has a claim to still being number one contender. She was not eliminated from the Casino Battle Royal, but she came out for the save because she's a good person. She got beat down, and then that brought out Chris Statlander with a chair, saying a match for this Friday on Rampage. Yeah, you know, the, I don't, the match falling apart or whatever didn't bother me. I was uh, still pretty engrossed in it, and like I said, Ruby Soho getting some of the ba- better babyface reactions uh, that they've gotten with a women's angle or with a women's wrestler in this company, I think. Uh, so keep letting that ride. Cause I think they've got, got plenty of untapped potential there. Uh, and then the, the angle and setting up the trios match, I think came off really well too. This is, I think the best reaction that Chris Statlander has gotten, uh, especially opposite Britt Baker. Um, because Britt Baker was, you know, basically getting all the babyface reactions and that program was kind of cold, but I think Chris Stallander showed up in a big way, uh, as we discussed on the Patreon, both on uh, rampage and then again on the pay-per-view. Uh, so I'm glad to see her reactions, you know, are reflecting, I think those good outings. Um, and yeah, you know, Jamie Hayter was the person who did not eliminate Riho from the battle Royale. She, you know, was fighting with Riho in the corner and Riho went under the rope and then got eliminated. And, you know, uh, Jamie Hayter did try and wave them off. Like, no, she's not eliminated. She's still in the match. But, you know, if they retcon that to be, no, Jamie Hayter, you know, threw her under the rope and they, you know, uh, eliminated her even though she really wasn't. So she's got a bone to pick both with Britt and with Jamie here. So that's uh, that's an interesting match for Rampage, I think. Yeah, and... Also, Aaron can be happy to know that Jamie Hayter will not be taking the fall in that match. Jamie Hayter's her place is fine, but like, the, like Rebel's going to lose. Yeah, I think her place is fine as the underneath person for Brit until they decide to pull the trigger on her. And I, you got to get there with that crowd because she's she's not getting those immediate reactions like Ruby no. was. Uh, so you know, do a do a long slower build with Jamie. No, absolutely. Then we had uh, Ricky Starks and Brian Cage doing their dueling promo again, and that led us to the Pinnacle versus uh, Dark Order Trios match that we talked about earlier. Uh, TJ is a firm thing because they were a part of what I actually thought this was pretty smart after this match. Uh, The Casino Battle Royal, they had everyone talking about stuff coming out of it, including TJ, including Thunder Rosa being like incredibly emotional about saying like, just like great baby face promo just saying like how devastated she was of losing jade looking strong nyla talking about all the eliminations here i thought this was actually given how bad time pacing was on this show i thought this was like effective because everyone who really had something come out of the battle royal they made sure that they made that point there for them going forward yeah the that was exactly what i've uh, really been begging them to do in a lot of aspects is we just have a bunch of quick pre-tapes it doesn't take long for each individual person to be like, hey, 
here's where I'm at, here's where I want to be or whatever. And then you established all those future programs. Obviously, they don't put that many women's programs on television ever. So, uh, you know, paying lip service to them here. And then, you know, when we check in with each individual, one of them over the next 16 weeks or whatever, uh, at least they've, I guess, laid the groundwork for them. Um, but yeah, that's a really efficient use of time. I, I It seems especially interesting to me that the Ty J program is like explicitly a tag thing where it's like, no, we're mad at the bunny and Penelope Ford. So th- those are like some explicit teams or pairs now. Uh, and I wonder if that's going anywhere with uh, a two versus two program instead of, you know, the other ones, which is, you know, Jade and, and Layla or whatever. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. It's just something that nice way to flesh out a division that really deserved to have more notice towards it. Uh, after that, we had the Tully Blanchard winning Sean Spears versus Darby Allen. Sammy Guevara brought back the sign bit during picture and picture talking about how great the summer was for him. He was, he was getting the biggest fucking reactions for this. Really? I couldn't believe it. Every, he got a big pop coming out, and then every individual sign that he pulled out was getting either a pop or a boo. Uh, so, you know, they haven't been featuring him really since... Since Jericho went into this MJF thing, which was separate from the inner circle and pinnacle for whatever reason, they haven't really featured Sammy Guevara, but he's still, you know, people want to see him. Yeah. Hey, I, I was something that I forgot that he was, I forgot that this was a bit of his. And when I came out there, I was like, oh yeah, Sammy, this is a bit of him. And the fact that at least on the fight feed, it's still super over kind of a nice trick to pull out. Yeah. Although Taz did not understand it because <laughs> he, he asked Jim, I don't get it. Why didn't he just come out here and talk? and jim ross is not the person to ask about that <laughs> well jim he's like no i understand i understand you know he i don't i don't know what he's trying to say he's like no i understand it jim and jim's like no you don't understand it i'm like jim you're right he doesn't seem to get it <laughs> i don't know if he doesn't know we're in picture in picture or what and of course tony Schiavone was not there because they were about to have something with tony Schiavone. so jim ross is like what am i supposed to be doing here up uh, after that, uh, Varsity Blondes were in the training room talking about, like, how are we doing? We're not doing well. Look what happened here. One of us got clocked in the face with a dynamite diamond, which is something that I always remember. Like, oh, wait, that's actually like almost like a title belt in this promotion that's only remembered once a year. But as they're talking about, the acclaimed come in to start some shit and to make some matches on Rampage on Friday. Max Caster versus Brian Pillman Jr., which builds up the MJF versus Brian Pillman Jr. Officially the first match on the Dynamite Grand Slam card, which, I mean, that's a useless bit of information that amuses me. They did accidentally babyface the acclaimed by suspending them for uh, problematic content, uh, which I get, you know, probably was not the intent of suspending the dude, right? Like the, the oh, idea yeah. is, well, yeah. oh, you you said something un- awful on dark, uh, and now we have to address that and you know try and remedy that for the future, whatever. And there should be consequences. So they suspend him, and it's like, oh, now he's more over than ever and a baby face now. Um, so that's this weird, weird fucking wrestling thing where <laughs> <laughs> you don't, you often get a uh, 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 perverse incentives for doing the wrong thing. Yeah, because did you see? like the first rap back that he did like he they were crazy over for that yeah. bit like total it, baby faces for it and it was a well well uh well played bit i thought anthony bones was uh that's like the best thing anthony bones has done is some of his line reads in that bit oh for sure 
And then we had the Elite and Brian Danielson. We talked about this somewhat. I'll run down the rest of it. Started off as a victory lap about All Out and that the Bucks are going back their titles and that Kenny Omega is the PWI number one wrestler in the world for 2020. And of course, Nate, as you pointed out, AEW has both the Alpha and the Omega as Lulu Pencil finished 500th. We need to get Lulu Pencil her alternative uh, uh, cover for this. We need to get that to happen for Lulu Pencil. Then we had story time with Adam Cole, baby, as he immediately steps to Tony Schiavone as his first thing he says is uh, stepping to about Britt Baker. Then he calls himself a once-in-a-generation professional wrestler, and he wants to thank them and that the elite is complete, and that brought out Brian Danielson, which we talked about previously. I forgot about that. Uh, Adam Cole menacing Tony Schiavone part. That was a great touch. Just the nice little bit of continuity that you don't always get in wrestling where it's like, no, we're going to, we're going to understand what our audience knows. And we're going to acknowledge those real things that we can't, that's inconvenient to just try and sweep under the rug and ignore. So they just use it to their advantage and they make Adam Cole more of a heel through it. Uh, So that's great. Just another, another positive thing in this segment that we put over. Yeah, and he called him a nerd very funny ways, which, it, it, and like they needed to code Cole as a heel because he got such a big pop in Chicago that like you needed to like firmly like cement it that like, yeah, he's going to get popped because I'm Cole, but he is a heel here. So I thought that was all pretty effective there. And then we had the main event, the John Moxley homecoming match, uh, John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki. They cut out of Kaze Ninare, but then we had a, what I thought was a pretty fun 10-minute t- TV match. Like, I saw a lot of people online kind of be like, oh, no, this isn't the match that, that this isn't what you do. We have Minoru Suzuki here. It's like, this is what they do in AEW, though. Like, this was not going to be more than it was. But Minoru Suzuki, guys, eyebrow busted open, and it looks sick. Yeah, hugely benefited from the eye- eyebrow busting open. And just, you know, he's already doing like a crazy old man who laughs at violence or whatever stuff that's like <laughs> which is insane to watch on national tv like oh, yeah. national tv production like him making his faces doing his like slow running kick. <laughs> yeah it makes yeah. it better it's so it's tremendous that he can come to america and just be a wacky faces guy and it just makes him more over um but yeah the, him, i mean the blood not a not a blood pattern you see in like every match so it made him look even more insane than just a guy who was busted open uh, and just, you know, enhance his aura where it's like, hey, this guy's not fucking going down and he's busted open from the head. So that all that was a happy accident for that match. <laughs> I, I mean, every single episode, somebody gets busted open seemingly by accident. It's remarkable. Multiple uh, people on this show. Like there was a busted mouth on the show as that's well. Right, yeah. I, I, I mean, it might be multiple people on every show. It sure seems like it. Uh, but yeah, this was, <laughs> you know, a, a victim of the timing problems throughout the show because. Mm-hmm. Match could have been longer. Song definitely should have been longer. Uh, I, I was mostly amused. They shouted out the PWI 500 ratings in the rankings in the previous segment. Uh, and here they shouted out that Minoru Suzuki was a Hall of Fame inductee in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. It was in his lower third, uh, which I just thought was uh, kind of amusing because we know Tony loves the Observer and stuff mm-hmm. and, and you know looks at Dave's match rankings and all this stuff. Uh, but I also, I, I think that's great because that's a more legitimate Hall of Fame than the WWE one. And fucking Jim Ross is always talking about that guy is a Hall of Famer. He's a future Hall of Famer. He calls Chris Jericho a future Hall of Famer all the time. Chris Jericho has been in the fucking Hall of Fame for like 15 years yeah. already. So uh, that's great. I would love for AEW to just more 
frequently and explicitly hammer home that actually, no, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame is the real one and Vince's is fake. I like the fact that the lower third, it was by far the longest lower third that they've had so far. Because it was like King of Pancrase, MMA legend, multiple time world champion, 2017 Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of of Fame inductee. And then it's this Minoru Suzuki and little type and no record. (laughs) Like, I just like that. That's since Adam Cole or since Adam Page is not around here, that was really appropriate. Uh, Moxley, of course, got the win after two paradigm shifts and went to go wonder the crowd. For the last three minutes of the show, they really timed the show like an asshole. Uh, that does it for this week's uh, Dynamite. On Patreon right now, you go to you go to patreon.com slash everything elite. There's three tiers, $3, $5, $8. Uh, $3 gets you our weekly show, AEW Lite. comes out every Wednesday morning. It is where Aaron and I preview this week's Dynamite. We talk about what other... AEW content that we have seen in that week and Nate gives the BTE and sometimes a little bit other vlogs and then also this week AEW or sorry EE World Tour it is the show where we talk about each week's rampage but also this week since it was all out uh, Aaron had on Adam aka Wickaface for an all out retrospective and preview and then also Right after uh, All Out, as soon as we all could have gotten to my hotel room, of which you all doxed on air, uh, <laughs> we had the our reaction show to uh, to All Out 2021. Some of my favorite stuff is our reaction shows there. And then, of course, if you sign up at the 5 and $8 tier, you could join our Discord, where we all hang out during the shows. You can submit elite or deletes and just have a general good time there as well. So for Friday, oh, sorry, Nate, go right ahead. Um, so I just saw there's a Twitter exchange happening where The Rock is in a uh, exchange uh, wishing his wishing best wishes to a fan who's uh, got a, a fan member in the hospital, uh, but explicitly putting over Adam Cole and a man who is the subject of many rumors and news items, Kevin Owens, a.k.a. Kevin Steen. So I thought maybe we should hit on that, that. Fightful has reported that Kevin Owens' contract is up in apparently January 2022, and he is making a lot of allusions on Twitter uh, in his uh, – made a reference to Mount Rushmore on Twitter, also put his uh, his bio – his bio, no, his location on this Twitter bio seems to refer to the Young Bucks location on their Twitter bio. Uh, Mark Henry just fully <laughs> retweeting some AEW fan account saying, Kevin Steen's coming to reunite with Cole and the Bucks, baby. <laughs> Uh, so I thought we should make some mention of that. Are, would yeah. you be excited to see Kevin Steen in this promotion? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Kevin Steen is one of like my era of like PWG and Ring of Honor guys. So having him there also, given the fact that if he were to leave WWE, unless he's someone that's just like, you know what? Made my money. I'm a family guy. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with my family. AEW is the place he's going to show up at, especially the relationship with the Bucks. I mean, he's responsible for the elite like a lot of people don't realize that because when cody left the company kevin scene said hey matt and nick cody's coming onto the scene take care of him he's one of us and i just think that he's absolutely there i think he's excellent and i think that like if there's ever going to be like an elite breakup thing go right into mount rushmore you know just like straight up do the do it that way just destroying kenny omega like that's a quick way to kind of really 
babyface him because I think I think Steen and Omega have a really solid program in them yeah. if they decide to go that way. That would be very fun. Um, I wonder, yeah, you do Mount Rushmore. I don't know, Kenny and you just do the good brothers. I don't know if that's the right fit for that. It seems like you'd have to get away. And I don't know if you can do, I mean, I love Cutler and Nakazawa, but I don't know if they would yeah. quite fit in. I don't know. Maybe you have to get a, a Takeshita back over and have him be uh, Kenny's partner or something. I, I mean, maybe you get ha- a lot of, a lot of potential fun matches. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, just so fun when these guys go back to their history um, and, you know, can refer to things like on elite with uh, Adam Cole coming back from the dead by way of a seance that Kenny Omega learned from Malachi Black. Yeah. And of course, call it Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows. Doc Gallows couldn't focus at all during said seance. So that's probably why no, yeah. that's probably why it took so long for it to work because Doc Gallo was too busy trying to catch a kiss there. Uh <laughs> Yeah, no, I think Cena's a no doubter at this point. I think that if he wants to be there, he will be there. And yeah, what about no. The Rock? Do you think The Rock is going to be right behind him, Mike? I mean, my hopes and dreams as a like ten year old would be The Rock's right behind there. But in twenty twenty one, nah, man, The Rock's like doing his bad energy drink, all of his like movies, like Jungle, oh, wow. stiff, well, like Jungle Trip or like Jungle Boat Jungle or, Cruise, Jungle Cruise. There we go. Uh, that very exciting, very dangerous. That movie has been in the can since like early 2019. Like that movie has been done since before AEW officially announced. Like, wow, wow. I don't see it. Okay. Well, if you had to have one dream match with The Rock in AEW, who would it be? Oh, Pac. Come on. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, just like an angry, short, snarling guy (laughs) looking at The Rock. I mean, come on, the juxtaposition there. What's yours? Uh, Jack Evans. Again, angry snarling guy, small snarling guy looking at the rock. Nailed it. Yeah, make it happen, Tony. Yeah, there we go. Make it happen. Up. So, finishing out the week, uh, Rampage on Friday. Presumably, it just finished up being taped. They announced Andrade versus Pack, which I saw on Twitter. It was actually getting some pretty good reviews. I'll be the judge of that later. Oh, Mike, the supreme judge. You, I... you, you Twitter peons may have your takes on being there in the building or whatever, but Mike... Will be the final word on this match on this I, program. I will be the final word on this program because I would be the one that would be able to say, you know what, this is actually Andrade is doing, or this is Pac. That's why Nate, like there we said facetiously, hey, you don't that, have to tell you don't have to tell me. Tell them. Yeah. Uh, also, Max Caster versus Brian Pillman Jr. and then the women's trios match: Britt Baker, Rebel, and Jimmy Hader versus Ruby Soho, Riho, and Chris Statlander. Announced for next week. For Newark, remember when Newark was going to be like the biggest show and show and company blood and guts. Blood and guts. blood and guts. Did you think we'd be having an Adam Cole versus Frankie Kazarian match in Newark? I did not at that time. No. Did you think we'd be getting Jake Cargill versus Layla Hirsch in Newark? Uh, yes, I was pretty sure about that one. I felt yeah. pretty confident about that one. The, and then also we will be getting Darby Allen and Sean Spears. But that's going to do it for us this week. Yeah, Nate, unless no, they're, you got anything they're, not, they're not loading up that Newark card. They are not loading up that card that, that was supposed to be blood and guts, supposed to be like 15,000 in the year. Yeah. It still might be 15,000. I've, I, I'm not a Russell Ticks patron, so I have to rely on others. Like, is Does it seem like it's going to be like 15,000 in the arena there, Nate? I don't know. Also Fair not enough. a Russell Ticks patron. Uh, we, we really outed both ourselves here about that right here finishing up but that's gonna do it uh you could follow the show at 
everything AEW on Twitter. Nate is at Epitasis. I'm at Fujihaya. The delinquent Aaron Bentley is at Aaron Like the Car. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash everything elite. As well, visit our fine sponsors, manscaped.com, 20% off plus free shipping with promo code this is, and double your, your deposit bonus with mybookie.ag, promo code elite, and go get that, put that money on that. Dallas Cowboys and Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to score one single point, but I mean, that's just dumb money right there. But that's going to do it for Aaron, for Nate. I'm Mike. We'll catch you next time on Everything Elite. Take care. 